Hi, Pastor Mike Fabares here. In August 2024, you're invited to join me on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. Delve into God's Word while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. I don't know if I should take that job. I don't know if I should take that ministry. I don't know if I should do that thing. And I'm telling you this, we've got to work hard to know the will of God, and it starts with you studying the Bible to know the will of God. We don't start with application, but we end with application every time we study the Bible. That has to be done every day in the Christian life as a practice, and guess what? Then you become saturated with the truth of God's Word, and guess what becomes clear? God's will for your life. The Bible includes remarkable stories of people who experienced God in unique ways. And while receiving a dream, seeing a vision, or hearing God speak seem like compelling ways to discover God's will, how can we know God's direction for our lives if we don't have one of these miraculous experiences? Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares shares some helpful insights and practical ways to discover God's will. I'm Dave Drury. And now here's Pastor Mike with part two of a message titled, Saul, A New Purpose. Grab your Bibles, pull it up on your phones, whatever. Look at it, verses uh, 10 through 16 of Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Follow along as I read it for you, starting in verse number 10. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. We got three Ananiases in the book of Acts, and this is the one here that is going to do something a little bit scary, and he's going to do it faithfully and follow the will of God for his life, and we're grateful that he did. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Ananias responds, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He's called an instrument of God, and certainly he would be. The rest of the book of Acts is going to play out how much of an instrument of God he was. But right here, I mean, we can't miss that Ananias is being used as an instrument of God. But I want to start right now with the fact that before Ananias even knew what the will of God was, he responds in verse 10, look at it afresh, with a phrase that is loaded. And I say that because all throughout the Old Testament, this same phrase in a different language in Hebrew in the Old Testament is repeated constantly by the people that are being called on by God to do something. God comes and shows up and says to several people, like Samuel, hey, Samuel. And Samuel responds, here I am, Lord. He shows up to Abraham, here I am, Lord. He shows up to Moses, here I am, Lord. He shows up to Isaiah, here I am, Lord. This is a common response that shows, I understand who you are, 
and I am here to respond and do your will. And some of you are saying, well, I'd like to know God's will for my life. But here, I'm going to tell you, you're never going to know God's will for your life. You're never going to know any specifics about God's will for your life if you don't start where Ananias started, where Samuel started, where Isaiah started, by saying, here I am, Lord. That's an implication, if you're taking notes, number one, that you've, you are willing to do God's will. As Jesus himself said, you will not know a lot of things about God's will unless you're willing to do his will. So you've got to be willing to do his will even before you know what that is. Number one, be willing to do God's will. You want to know what God wants for your life? You want to walk the path and follow the good shepherd? Well, first thing you start with is I am willing to do your will. But it's got to start with me saying my life is a servant life and I want to hear the will of God. I want to know what God wants but I'm here to serve you. I'm listening as a servant to the Lord. Well, there's no way you're going to say, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I mean, if, if I had Christ to walk out on the stage and say, I got a mission, you might say, it isn't because I'm not willing to do it. You might say, I don't think I'm worthy to do it. And if you think that, you don't understand this part. Two prerequisites, a high view of God and a high view of your forgiveness. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. And here's the problem. It happens in the Bible. A lot of times people have the right response with their words, but in their heart, they don't. Moses. I hate to throw Moses under the bus this morning. But Moses hears the voice of God in this vision from the burning bush, and he says, here I am, Lord. Says the right thing. And then the Lord says, great. Got your attention? Here's the mission. The mission is you're going to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people of Israel go. And here's what Moses said. In the end, here's what he ramps up to saying, send someone else. The problem is he really looked back at his past and he saw the failure of killing that Egyptian, burying him in the sand, gets run out of town, becomes an employee of his father-in-law and mopes around in the Midian desert. And when God says, I got a task for you, he doesn't say, here I am, send me. He goes, no, I don't want to go. And I think he didn't want to go because he doesn't realize that he's 100% completely accepted and forgiven. Why do you think God chose Saul of Tarsus? Well, we know that Saul turns around and tells Timothy, here's the thing, God chose me the foremost of sinners, that he might demonstrate his perfect patience, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his redemption. He took the worst to show that any of you here thinking, I'm not worthy to do what, what God, what if Christ came out and said, what I'm looking for is a pastor of the next church plan. What I need is a key player in a huge new ministry I'm starting. Right? A lot of you say, well, I want to hear what it is first because I don't know that I'm qualified for that. Now, I know there are practical qualifications for things that God calls you to do. And there's training to be had and all that. But I don't want you sitting here, well, here's one of the reasons I can't sincerely say, God will do your will before I know what it is. Because you're hung up on the fact that you carry in your heart guilt you should not carry because you think, just like Peter who went out fishing in John 21, when he should have been out preaching, he didn't do it because he carried around stupid guilt in his own heart that God had said is removed. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, God uses weak vessels, sinful vessels, people who have done wrong in their past who have to look at their sin and know this, my sin is atoned for. And then if God says, I have a task to do, you say, here I am, send me. Because whatever it is, I will do it. I will do it because I'm willing to do your will. I need you to have a high enough view of God to say, here I am, and send me. I think Moses had that. You also need to have a high enough view of forgiveness and your atonement. When Christ said it is finished, you have to believe, unlike religious people in our country today that think, well, I don't know, I'm hoping to be good enough to be accepted by God. You are, according to Colossians 1, fully accepted. You are fully qualified for this inheritance in the saints and light, the Bible says. You have full access. 
The moment you die, completely, you're not going to purgatory, you're not going to spin around in some cosmic vacuum until God figures you're pure enough to get there. According to the Bible, your forgiveness is so complete, you're fully acceptable before God. And if that's the case, if he tags you to do something, whatever your imagination scares you that I don't think I'd be worthy to do that. Some of you are there. You need to let that go. To do the will of God, you've got to be willing to do the will of God. That is foundational. High view of God, servant. He's the Lord. I'm a servant. And a high view of your atonement, of forgiveness, of what's been provided you in Christ. If God wants to tag me for it, I don't care if I was a blasphemer. I don't care if I was a persecutor of the church. I don't care what my background is. I will do the will of the Lord. Be willing to do his will. Back to our text. Like I said, be great if I had verse 11 clarity, right? That's super cool. Look at verse 11. The Lord said, arise and go to the street called Straight, of which we have none of in South Orange County, <laughs> Straight Streets. But I like the name, easy to read, very descriptive, the Straight Street. There's a house there with a guy in it named Judas, right? That's his house. And there's a man staying there, a man of Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. That's what he's involved in doing when you show up. And he's seen in a vision as he's been praying, kind of seeking what God's will is for his life. He sees you showing up and coming and laying hands on him that he's going to regain his sight because remember, we left him for three days, blind, not eating. He's fasting. He's there wondering what in the world God's doing with his life because he knocked him off his horse. Well, it's great, Ananias. I'd like to identify with you, Ananias, but I, unfortunately, I don't have the advantage of having a vision. I mean, it'd be great if I knew the, what should, Lord, what should I do with my life? Bam, that would be awesome. First of all, I would really question how awesome that would be. Because you think you're jealous of the clarity of a vision that he has. And, and here's, here's what I need to tell you. First, let's start categorically. Two categories. When it comes to God, God revealing things that would not otherwise be known. There's two categories. We think it through logically. We call it theology. One is what we call general revelation. General ways that God expresses things that are general truths. They may be specific reflections of things like the attributes of God. He does that in creation. He does that in conscience. So there are things that I can do to kind of discover a little bit about God by sitting on a beach and watching the sunset. I can learn something about God and even my, the plan for my life in some general way by looking at the constellations of the stars on a clear desert night. I can say, wow, learn something about God. I, I go generally. Then there's another category. It's called special revelation. When God particularly and specifically reveals things that would not otherwise be known. And in that category, you have all these things that you like to envy, like dreams and visions. Oh, if only I could have those. But the capstone at the very end of the clarity, the objectivity, the unchanging nature of God's specific special revelation, the capstone of it is his written word. Right? That's at the top of it. It's God-breathed, just to quote here for a second, a very familiar verse. All scripture is breathed out by God. Matter of fact, that'd be worth looking at. Let's look at it real quick. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Why don't you take a look at this? You want clarity like a vision. But here's the problem. If you had a vision two nights ago about God's will for your life, particularly if it was like Abraham's vision from God, when he said, here I am, when God said, Abraham, and he said, here I am, you remember what the vision was? Take your son, the only son, the son that you love, go to the mountain that I'll show you, and there sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Okay, you had a vision you got to tell your wife at some point. I mean, there's going to be a little argument going on, I'm assuming, with your wife about killing your, your child. I'm just thinking right there, we're already into subjective worlds of 
did you rightly hear God? Are you sure about that? I mean, when Samuel goes in and tells Eli what God revealed to him when he showed him in a vision what was going to happen in Israel, Eli right, could have said, well, now are you sure that's what he said? He said that about my sons? You're saying that God said about my sons that they're sinful and that Israel's going to suffer because of my parenting? Are, are you sure? I wish I could see the vision so I could know that. The subjectivity of that is far different than the ta-graphe, right? The, the writings in Greek, ta-graphe, the, the, the scriptures, all the scriptures. All of the scriptures are breathed out by God, this library of 66 volumes of God's revelation. And they're profitable for what? For teaching, kind of make it clear what God's path is. For reproof, I start going off the path. It'll be like a, a warning bell, bing, 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 blind spot, get back on the path. For correction, Sometimes you're going to have the wheel, like in these really fancy cars, I can push you back on the road. It's going to correct your path, and it's going to train you, like reps in a gym, going to train you to do the righteous, good thing, to walk in the good works that are prepared beforehand for you to walk in. That, that's what it does. How sufficient is it that the man of God may be, here's a big word, complete, equipped. Equipped for what? For every single good work. I just want you to go to Samuel and say, I'm just really jealous that you got clear revelation from God, man. You got, you got a vision. God told you exactly what you should do. Really? And you go, what do you have? I only got 66 books of God's written revelation. How many? 66? I only have five. No, no, I didn't say six. I, I said 66. 16? You have 66 books of God's mind on paper? Are you kidding me? So that when you see in God's word something clear that God has said, and your wife argues with you about it, and you can go and open up the Bible and go, so look right here, God said it, you can end all the debates of the subjectivity of a dream or a vision or a voice by looking right here at the objective propositional truth of God's word. You're telling me you're jealous of my vision last night as I laid in this tent in Shiloh? I'm sorry, you're stupid. I mean, that's what Samuel would say. I mean, really, he'd say, I'm jealous of you, fully equipped for every good work. That's huge. That's big. So we have to work to know God's will. And it didn't you go into sleep and wait to hear a voice. Number two, work to know God's will. You work, first of all, by reading the book that he wrote that reveals his will. Matter of fact, it's put this way in Psalm 119. It is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. Right? A lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's going to give us direction. It's going to show us what the next steps ought to be. You've got to saturate your thinking with this book. And, and I know it doesn't seem that easy because where does it tell me to go to Lisa Vieira Parkway, Starbucks, meet this guy from Anaheim? I don't have all that detail there. Listen, a couple things you need to learn. When it comes to the Bible, I know there's lots of genres. I used to teach a genre class at the seminary, but let's just look at two basic genres of literary text of Scripture. One would be called narrative, and one would be called didactic. I know we can get into a lot more detailed specifics, but narrative and didactic genres. The narrative genres. Some of you are familiar with the narrative genres of Scripture. You read the narratives, and as I was teaching classes on this, I would talk about that being simply understood as this is what happened. You wanted to find a narrative genre of Scripture is God telling us this is what happened. Doesn't mean it's the right thing, doesn't mean it's the wrong thing, but it means this is what happened. It's an accurate portrayal. We believe in the errancy of the word. This is actually what happened. God is not lying to us about what happened. He uses the prophets to record what happened in the narrative text of Scripture. In the narrative text of Scripture, 
There is a light and a lamp for you to take steps in your future. The will of God is revealed in those narrative texts. And you just knowing history or biblical history or ancient Near Eastern history is not enough. And some of you study the Bible, you don't work hard enough at it because you stay in the ancient text and you never bring that ancient text out into a principalized place where you see the principle and then say, okay, now I have to apply it. Some of you do half the Bible study you should. You don't go all the way. You read a passage like Jeroboam, Solomon's son. Jeroboam then inherits the kingdom. His dad is dead. He goes, what do I do now? I mean, David, Solomon, now it's me. I'm the grandson of David. What do I do? And so he says, I guess I should call a meeting to figure out what my administration should be about. And so he calls in his advisors, which were all of his dad's advisors, and they say, listen, your dad built the temple. Your dad had this palatial palace built. He did all these fortifications of the city. What you need to do to establish your kingdom is kind of ratchet back, lower the regulations, lower the taxes. Sounding good to me so far. All of that, that's what you ought to do. And that will establish you in your position and the people will be fine and, and everything will go great. And he thinks, ah, okay, well, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Get some more counsel. Calls in his friends. You know the story? He calls in his buddies, his peers, the kids he grew up with, right? The people he grew up with. And he says, what do you guys think? Of you? Well, man, you're in charge now. You got all the power. That's awesome. You can tax as much as you want. It'd be great. Building projects. You can just do, you build some really cool places and some, what they go on and on. Just tell him this. You think my dad's taxes are high? Wait till you get a taste of my taxes. You think my dad's regulations are high? Wait till you see my regulations. He starts hearing all these things that he turns around and decides to do. And he ends up splitting the kingdom. Jeroboam, with his decisions based on who he took counsel from, ends up sending Jeroboam into the north, stealing 10 tribes away from Israel, and it breaks the nation in half in the 10th century BC. You can learn a lot about that passage. We just read it on DBR not long ago and go, oh, that's interesting. I've learned a lot about the Bible today. And you can go win some Bible trivia games that you play. But it did nothing in revealing the will of God for your life. You just never took the time to say, what is in this passage that I can learn about what took place in Rehoboam's life that will help me put a principle down in my journal and then start to say, how would God have me live this week, this month, this year based on that principle? You start doing that disciplined, hard work every day in the scripture, the will of God's gonna just brighten up in your mind. You're like, oh, I get it now. I learned a lot about my parents' expectations and teachings to myself and my brother by simply watching how my brother might be suffering under the punitive measures of my parents. Let me put it this way. I walk in, see my brother, he's all down and dopey or whatever, and I go, why are you down and dopey today? So because I'm grounded until the weekend. Really, you're grounded. What'd you do? And he tells me the story. I don't have to hear a word from my parents as to what they said, I can hear it secondhand through how they treated my brother. And guess what? If I'm careful enough to principalize that and apply it to my life, I've just learned the will of God for my childhood in that situation. And the problem is so many of us read what happened in the Bible and all we do is try and master the data, the details. We think it's all about the knowledge. It is about the knowledge. That's foundational. That's about the then of the text. I got to figure out the always of the text and then I can start working on the now in my life in the text and that becomes then the revelation of God for my life. That's the narrative genre. The other genre is the didactic genre. Didactic comes from the Greek word didaskalos. It means to teach. It's direct teaching. Book of Acts, largely narrative, but every now and then it breaks into instruction that is given to the church. The church, hey, I'm a part of the church. 
Starts talking about disciples and what they should and shouldn't do directly. Well, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Christ. Great. So now I see direct didascalos. So I see didactic narrative. And I think, okay, there's the commands of Scripture for me, and I should live by those. But it's not as easy as you think. Right? You start looking at passages like Romans 14, when the church at Rome was all mixed in with Jews who had this background with you know, making sure that they celebrated Rosh Hashanah, they celebrated the Feast of Purim, they, they celebrated the Passover feast, and now they're Christians, none of that matters anymore, according to Hebrews 10.1, and all that Christ taught about the ceremonial law being out the window. And all these other Greeks and Romans in the church in Rome, they didn't care about that, so there's all this conflict. As we read this, we see direct principles as to how Christians ought to treat one another as it relates to those debatable matters, and you say, well, oh, there you go. I'm just going to apply this text. Well, you can apply the text, and you should apply the text, but the specifics of how that text is applied was applied in a context that's no longer valid for your life. You've got to extract even the teaching and be able to say, okay, now how do I update this? How do I understand how this applies now? Put it this way. You could work for a company that's been around for a long time, 75 years, 100 years. Let's just assume you're, you're in a business that's been around 100 years. It was incorporated, got articles of incorporation, got bylaws. The things that run the company and the corporation's documents, they are there and they're set. But they were done at a time where the whole context is completely different than yours. But thankfully, if the company's still around after 100 years, probably successful, probably profitable, and so it's been a winning formula. But you are here 100 years later as an executive in the company trying to figure out how to apply them. Even though they're direct statements, you've got to now understand at least the context in which you live and say, okay, how does that specifically address the situation here today? All the issues that we're dealing with in life, down to, to bioethics. Bioethics is not an issue in the Bible, but there are principles there, even in the direct didactic sections of scripture. That's the hard work of Bible study that some of us aren't doing. And then we're going, I wonder why I don't know the will of God for my life. I don't know if I should take that job. I don't know if I should take that ministry. I don't know if I should do that thing. And I'm telling you this, we've got to work hard to know the will of God. And it starts with you studying the Bible to know the will of God. We don't start with application, but we end with application every time we study the Bible. And some of us don't have that discipline in place. And I'm exhorting you one more time, just like your grandpa's church used to, 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 to exhort you, study the Bible. And that doesn't mean learn the facts of the ancient Near East or the early church in Rome. It means really work to take the principles and put them clearly in place, make sure they're cross-referenced with the rest of the principles of the Bible, and then start saying, how does this affect my life at work this week? That has to be done every day in the Christian life as a practice. And guess what? Then you become saturated with the truth of God's word, and guess what becomes clear? God's will for your life. You're listening to Focal Point and a practical lesson about the importance of studying God's word to discover God's will. We're taking a closer look at the amazing conversion of Saul in a message titled, Saul, A New Purpose. Well, the story of Saul is just one of the many real-life stories of transformation in the Bible. Scripture is filled with stories about ordinary people, like Saul, whose lives were totally changed by an encounter with God. So when you give a donation to support the ministry work of Focal Point this month, we'll send you a book that highlights these stories of transformation. Pastor Mike has personally selected A.W. Tozer's volume of Men Who Met God, 12 Life-Changing Encounters as a 
special gift for our listeners who make a generous financial contribution. Discover what happened to the men who experienced walking and communing with God. Request your copy of Men Who Met God when you give generously to Focal Point by calling 888-320-5885. Again, that's 888-320-5885. Or make your gift online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, write to us at Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And if you're not ready to give just yet, we'd still love to hear from you. We'll send you this month's free gift, a helpful pamphlet about the 12 disciples. These were 12 regular men whose lives were changed when they accepted the invitation to follow Jesus. Find out more when you call 888-320-5885 or contact us online at focalpointradio.org. Well, that's all for today. I'm your host, Dave Drewy, hoping you'll come back tomorrow for the third and final installment of a message called Saul, A New Purpose. Make plans to join us Wednesday right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear, but we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's word is true. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.